Okay, we are back. Welcome everyone and thanks for tuning in to this edition of the 615 Collector. Today is Wednesday, December 21st, or just a few days before Christmas. My name's Doug Turner, my partner here is Brandon Turner, and we are your hosts. Uh, yeah, and as a reminder, we like to remind everybody at the top of the show that we do take no sponsorships. We don't get paid to promote anybody, and that's all intentional, as we try to stay conflict-free, um, at least from anything other than our own biases. No show last week. Apologies for that. I was uh, That was my fault. I was feeling under the weather. I uh, got a little bit of a bug. As doing, some, I think I got it from the work travel that I was doing, but... Anyway, we're back to full strength this week. Everyone, I think, is is feeling good, so we're happy to be back. And uh, hope all of our our listeners stayed with us during during that week off. You want to start? We got a lot to talk about. There's been a lot that's happened in the last couple of weeks. So there has been a lot of stuff in film study. Yes. Um, give a quick a little bit of hobby news. Um, we'll do our jersey numbers like usual, and then in film study, we've got baseball, we got football, basketball, hockey, uh, and the world cup i guess wrap up so yep yeah covering everything mm-hmm. the other thing too so i was going to mention because we haven't really talked much about it but I, you, and i would rather stay that way why <laughs> i would rather i just don't well brandon I'd goes rather to, not brandon goes to belmont i would really rather not okay but let's at least talk about the team real quick you you, you okay. all i'll say is you you work a little bit with the women's basketball team and and they're a good team last year they knocked off oregon in the uh March Madness tournament and almost did the same the next week to Tennessee almost knocked them off as well and I was watching a little bit of their game on Tuesday versus Troy what's that guard's name that had uh, Sydney Harvey Sydney Harvey mm-hmm. man she is she normally a good shooter like that because she mm-hmm. didn't she set the record for Belmont she tied up set what did she hit like 10 threes yes in that game that was a nice game by her and anyway so that was fun I guess we'll wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating, a wonderful holiday season. My wife and I did get a chance to take in a Christmas concert this past week. That was fun. Saw Amy Grant and Vince Gill. It's kind of a annual thing we try to do. And, you know, the opener for them, I don't know if we talked about this, was Henry Cho. Have you, remember, have you seen Henry Cho? Have I seen him? Yeah. He's like a comedian. In person? No, I've not seen him in person. Yeah, he's a comedian, and he is absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. He is of... He was born here, I think in maybe in Knoxville, Tennessee, but he's his parents are I think Korean descent. And anyway, he is absolutely hilarious. He's an underrated comedian. If you ever get an opportunity to see him, I highly recommend going to see him. He's funny, but he opened and then Amy Grant and Vince Gill did their kind of annual Christmas concert they do. And I got to say, I think this is going to be the theme of the show, underrated athletes, performers, whatever you want to say because every time I see Vince Gill in college look Amy Grant was fantastic and always is and Vince Gill all right well, when we say underrated let's make let's actually make sure that we mean it please why is that because I've I've seen a lot of stuff in here and I just feel like you don't throw, think you're underrated. throwing the word underrated around a little bit too generously all right all right well we can get into that but I think Vince Gill's a little maybe not underrated but maybe under uh under appreciate maybe under recognized I don't know what the right word is not talked about as much Maybe not appreciating him. Vince Gill has an absolutely amazing voice. Every time I hear him sing live, I think, why don't I listen to more of his stuff? But he is one of those rare singers, musicians who is better live than he is, I think, on, you know, what is it? Tape, cassette, CD, on streaming, digital, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what the what it is in today's day and age, I guess what you would say. 
but um, Spotify or whatever. But anyway, but he is absolutely. And you know, the other thing, he's an incredible guitar player, and he's also very funny. He's very witty. And anyway, like I said, every time I see him, he's got a very unique sound. And anyway, that that concert was a ton of fun. My wife and I had a ton of fun. Your mom and I. Uh, what else we got going on? A couple. So Oregon, Oregon, our our my my alma mater. But they lost a five-star quarterback recruit to UCLA, but then got a, a five-star commit from Edge Prospect, who's the brother of the Clemson quarterback. How do you say his name again? Ui Uiagalele. Uiagalele. Something. I his. <laughs> that, I don't know. That name's a, a tongue twister. Always hard to pronounce. But anyway, so that was cool. Had some had some sad news the past couple of weeks. The first was Mike Leach passed away. Sort of famed college football coach. Passed away on December 12th after apparently some complications related to a heart condition, but he was a two-time national coach of the year, coached at Texas Tech for a number of years, Washington State in the Pac-12 for a number of years, and then most recently he was at Mississippi State. But So that was sad, sad to, to hear of his passing. I was looking up to see if there are any cards on him, and I don't know that where I couldn't find anything, but man, he Probably is... Probably not for college coaches. Yeah, maybe not, but he... Uh, he will definitely be missed. If if you ever get a chance, go look at some of the video clips of like speeches he gives, like post game interviews and things like that. Absolutely hilarious. I mean, he's got he is such a funny, or was I guess such a funny person to listen to. Um, talk about a comedian. I remember one skit he did about Halloween candy, and then another one he did about like preparing for a wedding. I mean, it just he's done some hilarious stuff. And so sorry to see that he passed away. Thoughts and prayers out to family. Uh, Franco Harris. I just saw this today, this morning. The the uh, legendary running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers apparently unexpectedly passed away. The cause of his death wasn't immediately released or known, but uh, he was the legend for the Steelers. He was 72 years old. He had four Super Bowl titles to his name. He is in the Hall of Fame, and he was uh, he's you know best known for the immaculate reception. The famous clip of him catching that was against the Raiders, right? I think it was against the Raiders, as I recall. But his rookie cards, by the way, are in the 1973 top set. It's a great rook. It's a great set, a great rookie card. It's it's. In, I've actually been trying to get a Franco Harris rookie card for a while now. I haven't. I've not actually been able to get one. I bid on a couple in a couple of auctions, but haven't been successful on that. But so really sorry to hear that he passed away. So thoughts and prayers out to his family as well. And then where else? What else do we want to go? Quick update on PSA orders? Yeah, sure. So grades popped on, and they're on the way back. Should have them. We're recording this Wednesday night. Might get them tomorrow. Certainly by Friday, I think, they'll be here. And so we can do a little bit of a grade reveal. But that's the one where the the 2012 Fleer Retro football uh, in college uniform, we had the, I think, what do we have? Ken Stabler, Joe Namath, uh we have Joe Montana? No, we didn't have Joe Montana. We had Joe Theismann. There were several in there of those PMGs. I think the Joe Namath was a green. The others were reds. So I'm excited to get those back. And then our 1971 Tops order, baseball order, had about 35, 36 cards in there. That finally got through grading, went to assembly. It's been through the assembly process. It's now in QA check one. There's a QA check two, and then it goes to shipping. So we should be hopefully getting those back by year end as well. So we'll have to do a grade reveal on that but so that's that not going to do a fantasy card or fantasy football 
card portfolio update today. Didn't have time to get everything together on that. Plus, we just got a ton of stuff to cover, so I figured we'll save that, maybe do an update on our fantasy football card portfolio next time. All right. In that case, let's go ahead and do jersey numbers. Um, we're at 62 today. Really yep. dry. This has got to be the smallest. NFL, NFL Hall of Famers, and that's it. Yeah, there was not one really of note in the NBA, WNBA, or NHL, and not really any of in the ML in baseball either. In MLB, there was a few notable names that maybe wore it for a season or two, but nothing that you could say, you know, of anyone that was actually known for wearing number sixty-two. So yeah, really, yeah, just two, two football. Today. This has got to be the shortest list we've ever had. Yeah, I feel like it's gonna be like that. But there is a, there's a, a couple of big names. You, you want the the first one, Jim Langer, in the Hall of Fame, offensive lineman played 12 seasons mostly with the Dolphins played every offensive down during Miami's perfect season and even though 1970 was his first season his rookie cards actually in that 1973 top set that we just talked about that has the that set also contains the Franco Harris rookie card it is also it's got many other good rookies Ken Stabler rookies in that one Jack Ham Ken Anderson who's a legendary quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals Jack Youngblood Art Shell Dan Deerdorf a lot of good rookie cards in that set that's a great set and so, yeah, Jim Langer. Then this is a big one, though. Charlie, I think it's, I don't know how you pronounce that. Trippy, I'm guessing. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce the last name? Probably. Hall of, in the Hall of Fame. It's from the University of Georgia. Played for the Chicago Cardinals. And played, played many positions, mostly running back. But did play some quarterback. Also played defense later in his career. Punted. <laughs> did a lot of things. I think he's actually the only player in the Hall of Fame that has over 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving, and 1,000 yards passing. That's pretty impressive, right? And we need to see an offense-defense guy today. Yeah, and he was instrumental in the cool. in the Chicago Cardinals' 1947 championship win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Scored a touchdown on a long run, also on a long punt return in that game. His rookie card, by the way, is in the 1948 sets. There's a Bowman. I think that one's a black and white Bowman. And then there's a, a 48 Leaf. That one's in color. And there's also a Kellogg's. It was, I think it was called Kellogg. I'm not sure if it was the one that came in the cereal boxes or not. I, I didn't, wasn't able to get a lot of details on it. But anyway, but he's got a few cards from 1948 that are pretty cool. And there you go. That's it. That's jersey number 62. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go Charlie Trippy. Okay. I think he's the pick there. Okay, sure. The only player in the Hall of Fame with 1,000 yards rushing, receiving, and passing. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's pretty impressive. And he's got a championship yeah. under his belt. Although Langer... Trippy, trippy it is. Yeah, all right. Trippy. There you go. All right. That was fast. That's it. Let's do the halftime report. All right, so in the halftime report, a little bit of hobby news, and then we'll be kind of quick about this because not a ton of stuff, but a few things and a few interesting things. We'll start with some card releases. Panini is, uh, for what it's worth, I did note this past week, maybe two weeks ago, because we did miss last week's show, they dropped the price of that National Treasures World Cup soccer set, our product, Hobby Box, to $1,549.95, and it did finally sell out at that price. Nice. So, yeah. All right, and then um, Panini has Mosaic NFL coming, the first off-the-line edition, um, I guess, is, is today. Or Thursday. Is it tomorrow? It's tomorrow, which is Thursday, but by the time we okay, release okay, this, okay. it'll be today. Yep. Um, it's going to be in Dutch auction format. It's going to start at $750. Each box has 10 packs and 15 cards per pack. This is a popular set. It's kind of considered a step down from Prism by many, although that's kind of up to preferences. 
but from a value standpoint, that is how it's currently viewed. Yeah, the hobby generally values the mosaic cards less than the than the prism cards, but you know, and that remember that Dutch auction format, the price comes down about every three minutes or so until it sells out, and then after the first off the line releases, the then the regular non first off the line will come out probably a few days later. Tops has several card releases out as well. They're Triple Threads Baseball, kind of a higher end product, four hundred dollars a box. Really cool cards in that box, in that uh, set though. They're, each box will have two packs and seven cards per pack, so a total of 14 cards. It should contain two autographs, including a triple relic autograph card that would be numbered to 99 or less, and a rookie autograph or an autograph jumbo relic that would also be serial numbered 99 to, ni- to 99 or less. All right, and then we have Chrome Black Baseball, which is 150 per box. Each box contains just four cards in the sleek satin black chrome design and you can expect to get one encased autograph card and one refractor parallel card along with two base cards yeah and then last tops chrome update their 2022 tops chrome update that's baseball was released i think today might have been yesterday but could be today 24 packs per box four cards per pack it's 120 dollars for a hobby box and this update edition essentially is a it's it's like the you know they have their chrome release their main chrome release this is just an update to that there's typically a shorter checklist it'll contain more rookies maybe players that have changed teams or weren't included in the original regular chrome release that type of thing there are a lot of good rookie autograph cards in this one to chase and it's fairly inexpensive too at 120 dollars a box when you consider where other products are priced especially when what 24 packs four cards a pack so what is that 88 cards for 120 bucks so what is that maybe a buck and a half a card give or take not bad that's pretty good pricing on on top's part with that so that's going to be i think a popular one All right, and then SGC showcased a grading promotion on their social media platforms. They posted a video of their CEO, Peter Steinberg, sneaking in to insert a 2022 Bowman Chrome Baseball Hobby Pack into a grading submission that was being prepared to be returned to the sender. They're apparently going to be randomly inserting these packs into collectors' orders throughout the remainder of this month, and they said that collectors can expect much more of these types of creative promotions in the future. Yeah, I saw that on social media. I thought that was really cool. That's a really cool idea. I really like that. And another example of companies in the space getting innovative in their marketing efforts and their promotional efforts that they're doing. So that's pretty cool. Looking forward to more of that coming down the line from SGC. And then then many of the grading companies got in the act this week. Again, this is this competition we've talked about many times that these companies are going to be kind of going head to head for a while now. And PSA announced that starting in January of 2023, they're going to have some simplified service levels with faster turnaround times. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to go through all of these right now. You can go to their website and, and get kind of the details on this. But again, the basic gist of it is that they are, I don't know that they're lowering prices. If you look at a lot of their service levels, it's, you know, the, the bulk value is 19 bucks a card, you know, goes up to what, $75 a card for the regular service level. So I don't know, I, I don't know if prices came down too much, but the turnaround times came down. Uh, and for example, at that regular level, the turnaround time is now 10 business days. And then what they also did is increase the max declared value. So before on their value service, you could have a max, you know, for the lower price point, you could have a max declared value of say $199 on the card. Now that got raised to $499. So they're doing some things there to streamline that. Um, We don't have a ton of information. They said more details would be to come on that, but you can get the pricing and all the um, specifics on those different service levels on their website. 
All right, and then PSA announced they're making a limited edition PSA magazine with a unique uh, or variant cover. Uh, the first one in January is titled 1986 What If and features the 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie card picture, but using the 1986 Topps football card border design, which is green uh, with white stripes. There will be a limited print run of uh, 2500 for this version of a magazine yeah so that another you know creative innovative idea way to try to create value for for their psa magazine and those that are not familiar and and others that may be familiar that 1986 tops football design that's the jerry rice rookie card the set that set has that jerry rice rookie card i think there's also a steve young it's not technically his rookie but there's a steve young card in there that's popular so and you'll recognize those kind of green and white stripes on on the border of, of that card and then HGA, uh, the, the grading company, announced a new grading calculation. This is interesting. Get CSG member did a similar kind of thing here. Well, HGA is now going to essentially round up. If, if you remember this way back when, we haven't talked about HGA in a while, but they used to take, they take the average of their four subgrades. Remember, you get grades on corners, edges, surface, and centering. They would take the average of those four, and if that average came out to something that ended in 0.25 or 0.75, they'd round it down. So, for example, if, you had, if it came out to a 9.25, it'd round down and get a grade of 9. Or if it came out to 9.75, they'd round down and give it a grade of 9.5. Well, now they're going to round up at those levels. So now if you get a 9.25, the grade will be a 9.5. And, and if you get a 9.75, the grade will be a 10. So it's going to make it a little bit easier to get the 10. HGA was really difficult. They did not give away a lot of 10s. It was really hard to do that. So it's going to make it a little bit easier with this new scale. This kind of brings them in line with what some of the other grading companies are, are going to do. They also And so this is in effect right now. I think it went into effect this past Monday. They said that starting on January 16th, because one question might be, well, what happens with all the cards that are already out there? Well, they said on January 16th, they're going to begin accepting submissions for existing HGA graded cards where you can send them in and have the recalculation done. So if you have a card that, say, got a 9.5, but it averaged a 9.75, you can send it in. They'll recalculate it and give you a 10, and then you can get that to back. It will cost $8 <laughs> per card to cover that so they're gonna they're gonna charge you for that <laughs> wow and but you can use the same label That's a nice way to make some money real quick exactly but and remember hda had custom labels so then there was question about that too well if you get it regraded can you still use that label and they said yes you can still use that same label to be provided on the new grade all right and csg announced they're offering a series of uh, custom marvel labels for their comic book slabs They'll have one for Black Cat, Black Panther, Jane Foster, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and Wolverine. Yeah, and this is, so you said CSG. Technically, it's CGC, but oh, it's the same bad, company. Bad, no, bad. but it's okay. Same company. It's it, it it's all part of the, uh, I guess that, I, I don't know. I forget the name of the parent company, but this is just, you know, they have CSG, which is their sports card grading. CGC is their comic book grading. So this is part of that. But yeah, another example of some creative you know ideas out of these grading companies and you're now going to get these custom labels in the slabs for those comic books that's pretty cool nash cards one of our favorite local card shops they're right here in the nashville area they're also in memphis by the way and we've had chris kelsey the owner of that shop on our podcast before remember they've got grading services they have had psa and sgc for quite some time well they are now adding beckett so if you want to get your cards graded by beckett and you want to use a service to do that for you nash cards can handle beckett grading as well all right and then we had some auction news so aaron judge's uh, 62nd home run baseball sold for 1.5 million dollars in a golden auction 
Uh, it was the second most expensive baseball ever sold at auction. Mark McGuire's 70th home run ball sold for $3.05 million. Although it was reported that he turned down a $3 million offer from the Yankees and took the chance of putting it up for auction instead, thinking he could get more. Yeah, so what do you think about that? He had a $3 million offer from the Yankees, said, not nah, going to send it to auction. Now, I'm sure Ken Golden had something to do with that. He probably was in his ear, like, no, send it to auction, you'll get more, you'll get more. We'll do, we'll, you know, we'll market it, we'll promote it, you're going to get more. And then it gets $1.5 million. Now, look, $1.5 million is still a lot of money. So I'd say, you know, did a good job. But, but that's half of what the offer was that he had in hand. What do you think about that? I think we might have talked about this before, but I think I feel like you should sell it to the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, in my personal opinion. Well, and three million like, was a great offer, especially at that much. I feel like at three million, I feel like Yankees came to me. I'd be like, yeah, I feel like this, you know, should should be with the Yankees at least for for now. Yeah. So soon afterwards, you know, That's maybe good... eventually they sell it, but I feel like for three million, yeah, I feel like. Should give it to the Yankees. That's a sure. good take. And so a good example here where greed maybe was not good. Yeah. Got in the way and, and he ended up getting half. Plus, like you said, and who knows, maybe the Yankees bid on it and got it for one and a half. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> who knows how that all went. But All right, well, we'll do some quick card ladder record sales, and then we'll get into film study. Because like I said, we got heavy film study show today. So we'll start off with there were several record sales in the Mile High uh, auction that went off in December. And we'll start with a 1954 Topps Ernie Banks. That's his rookie card. This one was a PSA 8. Remember we talked about there was a PSA 9 that I think was in, was it in Heritage or maybe it was in REA? I forget the auction house that had that one, a PSA 9, that sold for a record amount not long ago. This time it was a PSA 8, and it sold for a record $36,451.05. I guess that's just probably because of the way the buyer's premium works on that via the Mile High Auctions. All right, uh, and then we had a 54 Topps Jackie Robinson PSA 9, which sold for $76,438.35. Yep, and that um, was also via that Mile High Auction. Yes. Another one in that Mile High Auction was the 1948 Leaf Satchel Page. That's his rookie. Love that card. This one was in an SGC 7, and it sold for $103,969.44. We have a 66 Topps Bobby Orr rookie, PSA 1, which sold for $3,050 via eBay. Yeah, worst grade you can get on that. Still sold for over $3,000. Nice. for Bob. That's a, That Bobby Orr rookie is a popular one. Then you had a couple of uh, more, I guess, modern-day cards. 2015 Panini National Treasures. This was the RPA, Rookie Patch Autograph, a true RPA, so serial number to 99, of Devin Booker, the Phoenix Suns. It was graded PSA 10, and it sold for $48,000 via Golden Auctions. And then a 2020 Panini National Treasures RPA out of 99, Jalen Hurts, BGS, 9.5, uh, 10 on the auto. Sold for $32,400 via Golden as well. Yep. And one more National Treasures. It was the 2018 Panini National Treasures. This was the first off-the-line edition, rookie patch autograph, so it was serial number to 20. This was the one you'd told me to, to watch a year or two ago. And for any Simons. BGS nine on uh, BGS graded nine on the card ten on the auto sold for five thousand three hundred fifty dollars via eBay. Are these like are these re record sales for these this this kind of specificity on a card really even like? What do you really mean even worth mentioning? Why? What you got to think how many freaking combinations of this card can there be? I know, but it's still like, but you see trends right because you see trends in the players like Jalen Hurts obviously having a great like season. So a lot many, of his cards. There's like. There's so many things on here that could be different. True. 
But those other cards would also, you know, some of those maybe also be making records as well. There were several 19, actually I think it was 33, I think I made a typo here, it was 1933 DeLong baseball cards that sold in the memory lane auction that set records. We won't go through all those, but there were a bunch of those. And then lastly, there was a 1958 Topps Jim Brown. That's his rookie card. Love that one. Got one of these myself in the personal collection. This was graded three and a half by SGC and it sold for a record $2,760.12 also via that mile high auction. All right. Well, uh, I think that that's it for the half report. So let's go ahead and move to film study. That has to be the fastest we've gotten. Yeah, to film what's, our, study. The, what's our split on that? Yeah, it's got to be. That's we did that in like twenty-four or five minutes, something like that. We're on the record pace here. Yeah, we are. But now we're gonna we're gonna ruin it here in film study. We got so much to cover. We probably won't get through everything, but we do want to touch on a couple of things. So, quick couple of things to touch on in baseball. First of all, the Dodgers signed J.D. Martinez from the Reds, or excuse me, the Reds, not the Reds, the Red Sox, I should say. Uh, J.D. Martinez is one of those guys that I think is undervalued. And so then the Red Sox, I guess, they, they, then I don't know if it was like, you know, trying to like get back at the Dodgers for signing JD Martinez, but they go out and get Justin Turner from the Dodgers. And basically, Justin Turner, it sounds like from, they plan to use him to kind of replace JD Martinez. So he'll DH, maybe play a little bit of first base, which is interesting because Justin Turner was predominantly a third baseman for the Dodgers. So anyway, and then don't, again, I'm going to mention this don't sleep on Shohei Otani. He is a free agent after next season. And I think that's something to keep an eye on. We've seen, again, I, I, I like, look at what Aaron Judge did, right, in his big contract year. You could give example after example after example of players that have career years in the their contract year. That's going to be Shohei Otani. Now, unless he gets moved, right, before the season started, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The Giants, the San Francisco Giants, may be, some, may be a team in the running on that. They actually landed... Carlo, or so get this. I'm gonna. I will. This will kind of be a sequence of how we talk about this. So they landed Carlos Correa in a 13-year, 350 million dollar deal, or so we thought. Okay. Then all of a sudden, in a stunner, it came out that the Giants' report deal with him hit a snag when there was a medical concern that arose during his physical. So they canceled an introductory press conference on Tuesday, and apparently that's when the New York Mets swept in gave Korea a 12-year, $315 million deal, and he took it and signed with the Mets. So the Giants <laughs> lost out on that. He is now going to be a Met. Well, what was the medical concern? I don't know. Evidently, the Mets didn't care. Yeah, they didn't, I guess. So there you go. So the Giants lost. So now maybe the Giants turn around and try to make a play for Otani. Who knows? But the Mets, by the way, have spent some big money in the offseason, over $800 million in contracts so far on guys like Korea, Verlander, Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nemo, bunch of guys. Seems like a really good time to be a, a New York sports fan right now. Yeah, and remember the Mets Across had a great season right last now. year. They didn't so great in the playoffs, but they you know had a hundred win season last year. They've got a good team. They're going to be one to watch. I still like Pete Alonso on that team, and 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 from a sports card perspective. Uh, he's, I think, one to, to look at. There have been a lot of big contracts this offseason. I was looking at this. Two of the top ten all-time, three of the top five. Wait, is that right? Two, how could that be right? Two of the top ten, three of the top. Oh, no, that's based on, yeah. So two of the top ten all-time largest contracts and three of the top five all-time highest average annual salaries were done this offseason. And six of the top ten 
of the largest contracts and four of the five highest average annual salaries have been done in the past three seasons. So I would say rumors of baseball's demise seem to have been greatly exaggerated. I don't think that had anything to do with the contract. It's for the players. I feel like that had to do with the decisions of the MLB. I know, but that's a lot of money being <laughs> spent on these players, like right? That. I mean, if these teams didn't have the financial performance. I, never, I never thought it was a financial issue. I thought it was a culture and decision-making issue. Okay, okay. Um, personally. Yeah. But maybe maybe I'm, I'm not as well-versed on, on the topic. But Well, remember, that, I mean, you had uh, Judge got a $360 million deal. What, a couple of years ago, Bryce Harper got $330 million. Xander Bodarts got a $280 million deal this offseason, that three hundred fifty from Carlos Correa. I mean, so, yeah, a lot, lot of big deals happening in baseball. I would imagine Shohei Otani is going to be another one of those uh, that would have a, a big deal whenever that gets done and made. But, yeah, so there you go. There's some of the moves in baseball. I do not have uh, – I have not looked up card values on a lot of those players we are in the off season. This tends to be a good time to look at some of the cards of some of those players, if that's something that you're interested in. So that's something to give a look to. Let's move on. You want to go to the NFL next? Yes. Okay. Some big injury news. We'll get that out of the way real quick first. Kyler, it's, remember, it's been a couple weeks since we did a, uh, a show. Kyler Murray tore his ACL, so he's out. And apparently, now this is just fitting because my we're in the playoffs in fantasy football. I'm in, I'm in both my, my leagues I'm in. I'm in the playoffs. In fact, I think one of the league, I'm in the championship game this week. And my quarterback, who's one of the reasons I'm there, Jalen Hurts, it's, it's announced today that he may not play this weekend. He had a shoulder injury suffered in the Chicago game last weekend. And they're saying, I mean, it's, it's questionable whether he's going to play this week, which is just, that just seems about right for me and my fantasy football luck have my top quarterback potentially go down at the most important week of the season so anyway there you go now that's also big news for the eagles who are looking like they're going to come in with the nfl's best record have the number one seed in the playoffs that'd be a big loss for them uh, personally i don't think it's jalen hurts that's like the big catalyst for them i think it's the team as a whole i agree i think they can win with any quarterback that's nfl caliber you know maybe but you gotta hurts is really good yeah jalen hurts the eagles as a team are really good team i don't think jalen hurts is like the most important piece on that team that's yeah that may be fair but i but hurts is a fantastic he's had a fantastic season i think he's a really good quarterback Mm -hmm. and so they are definitely going to lose something if he's not on the field but and then this last week there were some crazy games in the nfl i don't know if folks saw that raiders game against the pats did you see that yeah. What were the pay? I mean, I know they, they look. This has been covered ad nauseum, so we won't spend too much time on it. But I just have to. I mean, what were the Patriots thinking? It's a tie game, and they're going into this like lateral, you know, end of game play, like as if they're behind by three and have to score in the last play. They end up turning over. Raiders score, <laughs> and they lose the game. Like, oh my goodness, absolutely crazy. And then the one we'll get into in a minute, we won't write this second, but the, the Giants-Washington, New York Giants and Washington Commanders rematch after they ended in a tie last time. Uh, that one was a very controversial game. We'll get into that. And then the Titans. Wait, um, do we have Minnesota and the Colts on here? Yeah. Yeah, Minnesota. That was another one where Minnesota had the uh, – the, the, that's on, your, on, on 4.12 in your notes there. Their comeback over the Colts. The Vikings had a record. Oh, there it is. Yeah, record comeback over the Colts you know what oh wait well you said oh okay no I got it yeah I gotta say there was something when it was halftime and they were talking about that being 
you know, uh, kind of what are some of the greatest comebacks of all time before that even started. I, I do have to say there was something that just in my mind I was thinking, I think the Vikings could come back from this. I don't know. They have the offensive firepower, and the Colts are kind of one of those. I don't know. Anyway, so that was not good if you're a Colts fan. Obviously, okay, if you're a, that was good if you're a Vikings fan. And then, yeah, the Titans, I'm telling you, the Titans, now they lost the Jaguars and then to the Chargers after that whole controversy when they fired their GM. I really don't think that was a good move for that team. And I think if you want to do something like that, should have waited until the season was over. I think it would have been a better look. I do think it's had an impact on the play for that team on the field. I really do. I think it's had an impact with those. I think it's been a distraction. And they've now lost, what, three games in a row that the Eagles to the Jaguars, to the Chargers. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm really not, I'm not, I'm not a hundred, I don't a hundred percent buy that a GM move really changes the, I think much for the team on the field that much. Well, I, I, agree. I wonder more in this case, if there's something more going on behind Yeah, that that was either a, a cause of or a result of, and that is actually what's going on. That's a good point. Um, That's not, a very good I point. I feel like just a simple GM firing or changing moves, I don't feel like that affects the players that much personally. I'm not 100% sure, but from what I've seen from most athletes, most of them say it really they don't really care or like it doesn't affect them. Maybe they're lying, but I, I don't know. I feel like there might be something more to that. Yeah. Honestly, this is kind of what I expected going into the season after moving A.J. Brown. I thought we weren't going to be that good. Well, the offense I, certainly... I expected more of like a 500-ish team, and that's kind of more of what they are right now. Yeah. I mean, they're, look, they're still in first place. It's a good thing they're in the division they're in. They're probably going right. to win the division. They're going to make the playoffs. And then once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen, certainly when you have Derrick Henry as that running back. The, the Titans' issue right now is on the offensive side of the ball. Look, they were they were... They have had some injuries on their in their defensive backfield, so they've been sort of vulnerable to passing attacks. I have to say, though, they only gave up 17 points to Chargers, which is pretty good. The problem is they only scored 14, yeah. and and their and offense is tough. But Herbert Herbert did a great job of taking the Chargers down the field in the last seconds of you know that game was tied 14 all with what 30 seconds or 40 seconds left to go. Herbert took them down, got them in field goal position to get the win. Although I will also say, as far as the Chargers are concerned, I, I've said this before: the Chargers are kind of doing what the Chargers do. They, they, you know, they beat the Dolphins, they beat the Titans, two potential playoff teams. They're eight and six, though, so kind of right around 500. So very Charger-like because they beat these good teams, then they go out and lose to kind of the bad or mediocre teams that they should be beating. They're just a frustrating teams for for fans, and and I they're in the playoff hunt right now, but. I don't know. It's going to be a close run between probably Baltimore, Miami, and the Chargers. There are a couple other teams that could still sneak their way in there. But and remember, this happened to the Chargers last year. Remember the final game of the season, them and the Raiders? They, they were tied, had an opportunity to end that game in a tie, and they would have made the playoffs if they did, but they didn't. So who knows? Something similar could happen to the Chargers this year. And what else? We got the... Dallas. I mean, look at the Jaguars. Jaguars might be, you know, we've kind of talked about this before too, about Jaguars may not be as bad as people think. They're starting to come into their own here. A couple of big wins, right? They got the win over the Titans. Now they got a big win over Dallas in overtime. Now, reality of it is Dallas had that game in hand. Dallas has got to learn to finish games. They were up by, what, 17, I think, 14 or 17 points late in that game let the Jags come back and and then lost it in terrible fashion in overtime. 
and the lions might be for real i can't believe i'm saying that are the lions for real there's just too much parody right now yeah and across like every league or at least nfl and basketball yeah i mean the bills had a crazy win over the dolphins and the bucks lose again it's like nobody wants to win the nfc south well, bucks are in first place and they've got what a six and eight record i feel like this is just kind of shows you that these are I feel like this is really more what you should expect from a professional like sports league, to be honest, is like a lot of teams that are bad should win random games against good teams because these are all pros. Personally. True. Like, I feel like this parody kind of makes a lot more sense to me than, than to usually than just have like one team dominating every division, you know? Yeah. Um, Certainly great for Vegas. Anyone betting on the games, it's like the, it's almost impossible to predict the outcome. A lot of these games, because uh, there's been some quite a bit of surprise. I mean, gosh, go down the list. Remember, and remember, the Lions, when we talk about the Lions being for real, they were favored against Minnesota, and they actually won the game, but they were favored, right? Minnesota at the time was, what, 11-1 and or 10-1 and or something like that, maybe 10-2, and and the Lions were, I think, what, maybe 5-8 and eight or I don't remember exactly, but Lions had a losing record. Minnesota, like, like I said, I think top record in the NFC, maybe second behind the Eagles, and let yet the Lions went in the game favored, and they did end up beating Minnesota. Minnesota's problem right now is defense. <clears throat> I don't know that Minnesota's got the defense to go deep. I mean, it's really looking like in the NFC, you got San Francisco, you got Dallas, you got the Eagles. Assuming Jalen Hurts stays healthy, I mean, those in my opinion are the three teams to beat in that conference, and then you know the AFC. Maybe a little more, I don't know, maybe a little closer. Might not, not you know, obviously Kansas City, Buffalo. But yeah, Kansas the, City. The AFC is just kind of confusing right now. It is, because anybody can beat anybody. The AFC the has AFC. the most parity of, like, anything I've seen. Like, there's literally, like, maybe eight teams that could all, I feel like, win it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. potentially. Because, look, Kansas City's winning games, but they're not doing it in really dominating fa- or convincing fashion, right? I mean, they just, the, the Houston, the, the worst team in the league, Houston Texans, took them to overtime, almost beat them. The Broncos, who have been absolutely awful, almost beat the Chiefs. And so, anyway, so, yeah, they're not really doing it in convincing fashion, and Buffalo hasn't been looking great. So the AFC is really kind of up for grabs. But going back to the NFC, what is it, the South, that the Bucks are in, along with Atlanta and the Saints, and, and, and Atlanta is another one that's kind of a little bit of a head-scratcher. So they replaced Marcus Mariota, is their quarterback decided to go with Desmond Ritter. Now, remember, at the time they did this, Atlanta was in second place, one game away from first with Tampa, had a chance, still has or still has a chance to win the division. And so this was a bit of a head-scratcher move, in, in my opinion, although it did come out afterward. They put him on IR with the injured reserve. He's going to have knee surgery, so maybe that was an issue. But Atlanta was in the playoff hunt. Not a great team, per se. Their offensive line is an absolute sieve. That's, they stink on the offensive line. That's part of the problem with, with Marcus. You know, people want to point to, to maybe Marcus not being a great quarterback or not having great play this year. I think he's actually, if you look at the games, he's actually done pretty well. Their offensive line just, is, they can't protect. I mean, oftentimes, by the time he gets the ball in a shotgun snap, he's already got someone in his face. Like, it's ridiculous. It's an absolute sieve on that offensive line. Similar, by the way, for the Denver Broncos. But so they go with Desmond Ritter, who's the the rookie quarterback out of Cincinnati, and I get it to some degree. You got to see what you've got. But do you do that now? I mean, and they and so they his first games against the Saints, 
Now, remember, they played the Saints early in the year. Marcus was the starting quarterback. They beat the Saints pretty convincingly, really. And so they go out with their rookie quarterback, Desmond Ritter, to the Saints, and they lose. And this is a team that, had they won that game with Tampa Bay losing, they would have been tied for first place in that division. (laughs) And they lose that game. It's just a head-scratcher. And when you look at uh, Desmond Ritter's stats, now look, unfair to him, right? Because his first game starting is a... So, Dude, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, f- I totally forgot that the Saints, like, existed. They've been so... I feel like they've been so, like, not just talked about at all this yeah. season. Well, the Saints I forgot not, they were even a team. I'm serious. Yeah, I will look ever since <laughs> they lost Peyton and Breeze, and, you know, it's a different team now. That's but, crazy, dude. Wow. But that's the thing. So, Atlanta like, goes... That was, in, like, the first I've heard of the Saints maybe all season. Yeah. <laughs> it's right here. So Atlanta goes into that game. That's a very winnable game for them. But now you got this rookie quarterback starting, Desmond Ritter. And look, again, he may turn out to be a great quarterback in the NFL, so this is not a commentary on him at all. I just I just don't really understand the strategy. He did not have a great game. And if you look at the stats from him in that game and how he played and compare to how Marcus played against the Saints, I mean, Marcus absolutely outplayed him like 3-1 to one across everything, right? Completion percentage, yards, the whole nine out outplayed him. And again, Atlanta won with Marcus against the Saints as their starting quarterback. And then they go out and lose. I, I just don't get it. I don't. I really don't. I think Marcus gets a bad rap. I think if you get a good offensive line in front of him, I think he could be a great quarterback. And when you line up some of his stats, I, and I get, I, some people say the eye test, but you know what? I, I've watched a lot of their games, and, and I've seen games where people will say, oh, Marcus is a terrible, even some, some, some podcasters in this hobby, I mean, Marcus is atrocious quarterback. He, it's terrible. No, he, he had like an average of 1.7 seconds to, to throw the ball before someone was in his face. Like every quarterback is terrible in that scenario. It's just that there's no one that does good in that scenario. And actually, when you look at the stats he's put up this year, it's pretty good. They're not bad. And again, Atlanta's competing. Here's a team that I don't think anyone expected to be in the playoff hunt. And yet here they are. Granted, it's in a worse division it's, I mean, in the league. It's not in the really league. due to them and they're playing gonna, well. They're, yeah, they're going to have a losing record, but still they the could. the situation they he, saw themselves in. Yeah, but still he could have he had Atlanta at a, say, 500 or better season making the playoffs. I don't think anyone expected that from them coming into this year, to be honest with you. So the Eagles went out, smacked the Giants. We've talked about Giants being a pretender. Well, they have lost four of their last seven since we talked about that, and one of those seven ended in a tie. And frankly, they also should have lost that game to Washington. We'll get into that in a minute. I do. I still. I come back to the Bucks real quick, and we're bouncing around a lot, a little bit here. But Brady, I still say he overstayed his welcome. Mm, whatever. Maybe there, there's only been in the past 22 years. There's only been three times where a uh, division winner went to the playoffs with a losing record. And it's looking like it's going to happen for the fourth time this year with hey, the Bucks. Tom Brady's still setting records. Yeah, exactly. And interestingly enough, nice. Ron Rivera was the coach of two of them, Carolina back in 2014 and Washington in 2020. The other one was Seattle in 2010 with Pete Carroll, which, by the way, Seahawks defense is absolutely awful. And let's talk about that Washington game really quick because – I got a bone to pick with this one. This the NFL has to do something about officiating. The the officiating this year has been terrible and this game is the absolute prime example of it. And you look at the way this game ended. I don't know if if folks saw this game, but if you haven't seen this game, go back and watch the replay of say the fourth quarter or at least the last few possessions or definitely the last possession 
that Washington had in the fourth quarter, right? So they are down inside the five-yard line, getting ready to go in and score at the end of the game. There was a penalty called on their wide on Washington's wide receiver Terry McLaurin, and it was a uh, what what you call illegal formation penalty. Okay, but watch the replay on this. Go, I'm telling you, go watch the replay and pause it and watch McLaurin. He lined outside. He aligned outside, and he was properly lined up on the line of scrimmage. He looked to the ref. He looked, which this happens all the time in these games, right? You'll see the receivers. They'll look to the ref on the sideline, point to him. The ref will tell him, yeah, you're good, okay? He did. He looked to the ref. The ref, ref literally gives him a thumbs-up sign, tells him you're good, gives him the thumb-up. You can see this clear as day in the replay. Gives him the thumb-up. They snap the ball, and the ref literally, as he's pulling his thumb up back to his side, he takes his other hand and pulls the flag out of his back pocket and throws it. Uh, the penalty practically before the ball is even I mean literally almost simultaneously with the snap of the ball and throws the flag and by the way Washington scored they handed off the ball to Robinson the running back who we've talked about before they scored and they called this penalty on him so that takes the touchdown off the board okay so that was the first one absolutely egregious something was really off about that one I don't know how you can give McLaurin the thumbs up and then like literally turn around and throw he, the flag maybe he on. He thought him. he moved. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he thought. Did he say anything or he just point at him? He point. And they were literally Cause maybe. Like, cause, I was like, because if he said something, but he thought he said something different, and he was like, why would he give him the thumbs up? I don't. know. I mean, know. this happens all the time, right? That's what I'm I mean, thinking. Like, I mean, maybe yeah. he just thought he moved. I don't know. That's weird. So then the next play. Now it's fourth and goal from like the six, because that was at like the one yard line. They had a five yard penalty. So now it's, I think, fourth and goal. Maybe it's third. I can't remember. Anyway, or, or maybe it was the next. I don't know. Anyway, it, on the fourth down play, the one, the last play of the game that's in question here, it's fourth down and goal from the six. And uh, Washington, Heineke, the quarterback for Washington, he's kind of scrambling, buying some time, makes a pass to the end zone, and it goes incomplete, right? And there's no call on the play. Now, go back and watch the play on video. It was pass interference. I mean, basically, there was no pass interference call, but there should have been. It was absolutely insane. And and I do want to talk about this mentality because I've heard people talk about, hey, hey, at the end of the game, I get it. You know, you got to let the players decide the game, not the refs. I so despise that mentality because the rules are the rules, right? A penalty is a penalty. Just because it happens in the last second of the game versus, you know, the first quarter of the game doesn't make it any less of a penalty if it is a penalty yeah. by the rule it needs to be called period you shouldn't change the rules of the game just because hey we want the you know players to decide not the refs the no the only thing i'll say about about this is yes in general except on rules which are up to interpretation and in particular i'm talking about like technical fouls and stuff like that but i right. think in general right. yeah absolutely that makes sense i would I, agree with that i think so if people are talking about that yeah for sure but if people are just talking about straight up normal penalties or you know whatever yeah i agree well and i, I also think it the egregiousness of it too right because like in this one when you look at it i mean there was such egregious pass interference like there's go i mean the guy literally the 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 ball the receiver that who the ball was thrown to literally you know Two seconds before the ball gets to him, a second, whatever the time, you know, the defender just completely tackled. I mean, like, there's a, there, if you pause the video, you see him, he has him wrapped up literally like a bear hug from behind, literally wraps him up in a bear hug. He's tackling the receiver before the ball ever gets there. 
Like, hmm. look, if we're going to let def- the defenses get away with that just because it's the last play of the game, we don't want the ref to, you know, decide the game. Well, then if I'm on defense, okay, then you know what? Just go out and mug every receiver. Don't let anyone yeah. catch the ball. They're not going to call it. Like, that's the most idiotic I mean, I'm a, philosophy. <laughs> I'm a fan of letting – I'm a fan of refs letting players play a little bit in, like, playoff-type games – but like only to a certain extent. Yeah. To a certain extent where like there's a point where you'd have to call it. Yeah. And I feel like this is definitely one of those points because I'm, I'm always a proponent. I like I like it when they let them play, but at a point, enough is enough. You can't let them like just straight up break the rules. Like, yeah. Comp- like a, that egregiously. It's, well, in this one, the players involved. So it was the the defensive back for the Giants was Darnay Holmes, and the receiver for Washington was Curtis Samuel. And then even the former ref and, and NBC NFL rules analyst said that, hey, yeah, he wouldn't have called the penalty on McLaurin, first of all. And then the play on Samuel was definitely pass interference. So here's a former ref and a rules analyst saying, yeah, you know. And, and again, that's just too big of, a, of an outcome. I mean, the, the, the effect that had on the outcome of that game and the impact of that game, the playoff implications of that game for both teams, I mean, that shouldn't happen. The NFL has got to do something about that. And, of course, Coach Rivera was clearly – upset after the game and he should have been he had every reason to be it was it was absolutely terrible and it the the nfl's got to do something and look we don't have a dog in the hunt right i mean i'm not a washington fan i'm not a giants fan so i could care less but i was watching that game going oh my goodness if i was a washington fan i'd be living that was crazy now if i'm a giants fan i'm like like, (laughs) got away with one. i will take it (laughs) got away with two i will take it but yeah yeah. So that's funny. Yeah, that's interesting. There have been like there have been like there's there like two uncalled travels on game winners this year in the NBA that were like in the last two minute report they were like yeah it was definitely a travel one. Yeah. <laughs> Literally buzzer like buzzer beating game winners and I'm like yeah. Well let's <laughs> like if either side is it's like it's kind of funny I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. Well let's move on. Let's go to the NBA. We've okay. we've talked a lot about NFL. Let's jump to the NBA. Gosh, so much to talk about in the NBA. We can get maybe a couple of housekeeping items out of the way first on our on our theme of underappreciated. I won't say undervalued because we haven't, I don't know, you know, we have to value on some of the card values and some of these guys may be, you know, subjective, right? And I haven't I looked up card values I disagree that Damian Lillard is underappreciated. So, <laughs> I well, highly disagree. Okay. Devin Booker, Devin Booker, sure, but I feel like he's been getting his flowers more recently. I think what I mean by – I think it's fair what you're saying about Lillard, but I think what I mean by it is – so he passed Clyde Drexler as Portland's all-time leading scorer, uh, what, this past week, and it was like nobody noticed. I feel like that was pretty – I don't know, man. I felt like that was news. I felt like it got around. Did it? Did I, f- it? I feel yeah. like it did. You think so? I feel like I got good. Co- I feel like I got decent coverage. Yeah, and then Booker puts up fifty-eight points against the Pelicans. Now that's after that was after right? They they lost to the Pelicans, where Zion did like a windmill dunk at the end of the <laughs> game that ticked them off, right? <laughs> yeah. And then and then they come back like it. two games later, and Booker puts up. Wasn't that the timing of that? Like two games later, Booker yeah. puts up fifty-eight they, they, points. Yeah, they, they played a, they played each other. Yeah, like the. Like, no games in between. It was like they stayed there and they played again. Um, yeah. One of those stands. And I've heard a couple of, uh, you know, popular hobby guys, podcast guys, uh, one of which is uh, Josh from The Crossover, who's who's in, I think, lives in Phoenix and is a Phoenix Suns fan. But talk about how – and he's fair, it's fair, right? It's I think it's right that Phoenix is sort of just, I don't know, like nobody 
people well, don't give Phoenix. And but my take on that is because they are not doing anything in the playoffs. They keep when you have these teams that dominate the regular seasons and then they don't play, perform that well in the playoffs. You, that's you kind of get that people kind of take that mentality of maybe not giving them as much, you know, credit for that regular season performance as they should mm, otherwise get. Well, kind of, but not really. I feel like. Well, A, they made the finals two years ago, and then the next year, yeah, Maverick situation, sure. I feel like this season it's just because, like, they're really good, they have a lot of talent, and they're going to win games, but I feel like, I don't know, it just kind of seems like there's something going on behind the scenes, whether that, and the, the Robert Sarver thing could have something to do with it, I kind of doubt it on the players. I feel like there was a the little bit... The what thing? What do you say? Robert Sarver. The, the investigation. I, I feel yeah. like that probably won't impact the players that much, but like, I feel like there's, I mean, there's definitely the Aiden thing, and like, I feel like there's there might be some chemistry issues. In well, the so let's room. stop and touch on each of those things real quick, just so our listeners may not know what we're talking about, and that is that the it was announced this past week that the Phoenix, both Phoenix professional basketball teams, the Phoenix Suns and the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury, are being sold um, to. Well, yeah, it was announced yeah. they're being sold, but they were. It was announced like before I think the season even started that Robert Sarver was gonna have to he was gonna be forced to sell right because of the investigation yeah so in, into the culture and, before and, the season and his started, conduct yeah yep yep so that did now it was a four billion dollar price tag so that's a pretty hefty price. which is like okay you bought it for four hundred million <laughs> like this is supposed to be like I feel like forcing him to sell it was supposed to be like you know a punishment but he made four billion so I'm not a hundred percent sure how much of a punishment that is but like whatever <laughs> exactly. Um, whatever there's not a whole lot they can do I, I don't think but whatever yeah i don't know man exactly no it's an excellent excellent point point. and so then what's the Aiton thing well just i mean the whatever the issue was last at the end and at the end of the playoffs last season and going into this season with the front office and i guess with the coach or whatever with uh with monty williams uh, they got into like a spat later night when they played the last night, I think they played the Wizards and lost. So I, I I don't know. I feel like it just has more to do with it. Just feels like something weird is happening with them. They're really good, but no one's really sure like what they're gonna be able to do. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird situation. Yeah. Well, another one on that team that I and we'll talk about a little bit later. We'll talk about an achievement that LeBron had, but it'd be Chris Paul. And when you look at where Chris Paul ranks all time on the uh, steals and assists and some other stats. I mean, he could be another one of those guys that's, again, theme of kind of maybe underappreciated, undervalued. I mean, what I need to do, which I didn't have time to get done today, so Chris my Chris Paul is just, no, he's so appreciated. Everybody loves Chris Paul. He just hasn't won a ring. That's it. Well, maybe maybe people, what I mean. Chris Paul, people literally call him the point god. People call him the best point guard ever. <laughs> like Maybe what I mean by this, though, are like, Card values because if you okay, look at if enough. you look at Chris Paul's well he's well because he's an assist, he's an guy that's why well in 2005 was his rookie year right I think 2005 if I'm not mistaken that's his rookie I think so something like but that but if you look at his tops Chrome his 2005 tops Chrome in a PSA 10 it sells for a couple hundred dollars compare that to some of the other players in the league today and where their rookie it's cards he's are not happy. a primary primarily a scorer he's in a, he's primarily like a traditional point guard, one of the few that still exist. Yeah, like that's why I feel like all the assist guys. Well, you're right about defense that. Defense guys, they're not. They don't get a lot of love because they don't score that much. They're not. Their, their records are in assists, and that's not as highly like you know. People love watching really incredible passes, but 
I don't feel like we'll freak out over high assist numbers ever. You're right. Or, about or that, over cause... the intangibles that he provides by just being incredibly smart and knowing, you know, how to win, how to get his team going. Yeah. That kind of stuff you can't really see as a casual fan and it's not going to show up in a stat sheet, you know. Well, and besides when you, the assist numbers. When you, know? you look at the top the le- the all-time leaders in assists and steals, John Stockton tops both of those. And another one of those guys, right? I'm looking at his his rookie card in the 1988 Fleer set in a PSA 10. You can buy that card for around 500 bucks. Last sold price was 480 dollars. Not again. That that's look. That's not inexpensive, but in comparison to, you know, where you can where rookie cards for even someone like we've talked about how Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is maybe undervalued. But if you look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's like you can't get his rookie card in a PSA 10 for that price, not even close. Now, granted, pop counts are a little different, but still there's there's 954 in the pop count on that uh, on that Stockton card. So not it's not like there's 20,000 of those things out there. It's under 1,000 in PSA 10, a little bit of value. And then you look at, go down that list, right? So Jason Kidd, he's second on both of those lists behind Stockton. Yeah. And another another guy that's probably a little bit- You should bit, look at him and then like Nash would probably be another one, Steve Nash. Yeah, and, Jason. and and even and that's an interesting case. I would look at Nash because Nash is a two-time MVP winner. Yeah, and I don't know if I've got kids rookie card. I'm not sure. I, I didn't I didn't prep this before. I'm looking at card ladder right now, trying to see if I can find his rookie. I think his rookie's in the 1994 sets. I could be wrong about that, but nonetheless, when you look at some of his cards, same type of thing. And and uh, and then that's where I was going to talk about Chris Paul because Chris Paul is fourth in steals all time, third in assists all time. So again, you're right. I mean, when you when you and part of where this came from is LeBron moved into ninth all time on the steals list, and but when you look at the guys that top that steals and assists list, you're right. They're kind of they're sort of maybe maybe underappreciated. So those defense and assists. Look, it's like I feel like that's that's going to be the case with the cards for sure. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in the actual sports world, absolutely not. I feel like people Chris Paul is definitely widely widely appreciated yeah he just hasn't won a ring but i feel like everybody wants him to so well and are we seeing a changing of the guard in the western conference here you've now got denver new orleans and memphis sitting atop i realize we're still only a quarter way and it's still there's you know only a few games separate a lot of teams however i wouldn't say a changing of the guard i would say again a, a lot of parody and especially in the west and this was actually one of the things i wanted to talk about was how much how much the West just keeps changing like every day. Like New Orleans was first, then Memphis was first, now Denver's first. Like it's Yeah. And the Clippers are hanging around there. The Kings are top six, I think, still, which is crazy. Kawhi just had his best um, game of the season when the Clippers took it to the Celtics. Yeah. Um Warriors are struggling, um, much to the Kawhi? surprise of a lot of people. Uh well but Steph Curry's out now too, right? I mean, so they lost Curry for what a month or so on yeah with a shoulder but Curry's injury. Curry's playing out of his mind, and they're still losing. They have the worst road record in the NBA, and one of the best home records in the NBA, which is well. And they also confusing, have, but when you consider the fact that they have a lot of young guys coming off of their bench, I feel like it kind of makes a little bit more sense because they. I feel like all those moves where they lost Gary Payton. They lost yeah. Otto Porter. Yeah. They lost uh, Juan Toscano Anderson. He didn't play a whole lot, but he was still pretty good. A lot of those guys were kind of coming off the bench. Vets, older players, they know what they're doing. Um, they don't have that now. And that's kind of, I feel like that might be part of their road issues. 
Well, and the, the Warriors are, over the last four seasons, 24-66 and 66 without Curry, which and they also rank at the bottom of the league in terms of scoring on a points per 100 possessions based, uh, uh, basis, I should say, without him. That's where they are without him. With him, they're literally atop the league in that stat on, on scoring and points per 100 possessions. So kind of sounds like an interesting case for MVP to me, but probably some other guys. Kawhi, another one of those guys we just talked about, the Clippers, maybe underappreciated. No, he's just been hurt. <laughs> well, that's true. He's just been hurt, so people have, people just kind of forgot that he's – because he, well, he gets hurt, and then he – And look – He Curry, came back, and then he got hurt again, kind of, kind of, and he's just, like, very carefully – very carefully coming back, and he's not playing a whole lot, and so he's just not making much of a splash right now. The other interesting thing I think for Curry and what you another I guess you know again won't be a case for MVP if the Warriors are you know, finish off the way they've been playing now and have you know don't don't make the playoffs or whatnot. But as far as MVPs go, this is the kind of thing you want to see from an MVP. So we just talked about what the team does with and without him. Well, from an individual standpoint, he leads Curry leads the league in fourth quarter scoring, and yet he's 93rd in the league in minutes played. So while he's not playing as many minutes as a lot of guys in the fourth quarter he's actually being very efficient in his scoring when he does he's also i think you've talked about this before he's doing that 50 40 90 thing only which is 50 percent from the field 40 percent from threes and 90 percent from the free throw line only he's also averaging 30 plus points per game and the only player to do that meaning he's the only player to have the 50 40 90 and average 30 points per game there have been nine other players that have the 50 40 90 uh, but none of them with that 30 point average now again we're yeah. still very early in the season so all of that can change and curry's done that before and i think well not the 30 points but the 50 40 90 i feel like um Kyrie irving did this with 20 on 25 points a game like a season or two ago and nobody really even mentioned it or like not no, knew it yeah so it'll be interesting if he keeps this if people actually will pay attention to it um, because I think it's one of the most impressive things you can do in basketball, to be honest. It's like soup. It's like literally the most efficient you can possibly be, basically. Yeah. Well, where do we want to go? Because there's so much, again, to talk about here. There's some big injuries. Cade Cunningham out for the season with Detroit with a leg injury. We just talked about Curry. And then after, you know, Anthony Davis, who was absolutely lighting things up. Where's I had somewhere in there I had stats on him for what he'd been doing over the last, where was it? Uh, can you find it? Yeah. So his last 12 games before going down with an injury, he was averaging 35 points and nearly 15 boards over a 12-game span. And then just as a lot of people were concerned with, and you were talking about he was taking issue with Barkley uh, <laughs> calling him street clothes. Yeah, and then he got sick, and then he got hurt. <laughs> he got sick, and then he got hurt. Now he's out with a foot injury for probably about a month. Oh, man, I just hate to see it, dude. Yeah. I'm tired of this guy getting injured. It's unfortunate. Now, LeBron, in his absence, been putting up 30-plus a game for you know several games now. So I don't know if LeBron's going to be able to keep you know propping up the Lakers. And I will say this, though. He is now just 732. Well, this was as of, what, probably a couple days ago whenever I put these numbers together, so it's probably a little closer than that now. I, I'm not, it might be the same. I don't think he played last game. Okay. So 700. Like, terrible. like, literally, Russ, LeBron, AD, and Austin Reeves didn't play. They had, like, literally nobody <laughs> that yeah. could do anything. So he's 732 points away from the all-time scoring record that is currently held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Lou Alcindor, as he's also known. 
And if you look at the pace he's on, it looks like he's probably going to break that record sometime in February, possibly as early as January 31st, which would be a game at New York. But then he's also in February, there's also some gate, like he's got a game at Indiana, at New Orleans, home versus OKC, uh, home versus the Bucks, at Golden State, at Portland, home versus the Pelicans, home versus Golden State, at Dallas, at Memphis. At My, New York would be sick. And I think it, any yeah. Golden State game would also be sick. And I think if he averages 30 a game, then he would do it at New York on January 31st. If he averages 25 a game, I think it would be, I want to say it's around like February 14th, which would be at Portland. Hmm. Or at Golden State, like right in that time. At frame. Golden State would be sweet. Now that also assumes he plays. If he's not playing in some games, that could push it out, right? So maybe it's yeah. more. Maybe it's later in the month where it's home versus Golden State, right? Or maybe it's at Memphis at the end of the month. We'll see. But it is looking like he's going to hit that record in February. So something to be uh, on the watch for. And then, I mean, you said Denver's in first. Joker put up a 40-point, 27-rebound, 10-assist, yeah, triple-double probably the most impressive performance game. I've seen so far this season, to yeah. be honest. And we've seen some ridiculous performances. And he did that in a win over the Hornets. Now, get this. He is the first player since Wilt Chamberlain to put up 35 points, 25 boards, and 10 assists in a game. Wilt had I mean, 50. That's just ridiculous. Look at, yeah, it is. And think about, look what Wilt had. 53 points, 32 boards, and 14 assists in 1968. Yeah, well, that that dude's averaging that, so, like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's averaging that, basically. Maybe that's an underappreciated player right there. And and, uh, Jokic is just the third player to do it, Wilt being one of the other three, and then Elgin Baylor is the other. Now, Jokic and Elgin Baylor did it one time. Wilt probably did it, like, 20 Wilt did it, like, yeah, he did it, like, well, I think it was, like, He did it, like, over the court. He did it, like, every game of the season. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I think it was like nine times, but yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, definitely, probably uh, that that's my pick right now for probably like the most impressive performance of the season from anybody. Yep, that's ridiculous. All right, so um, let's talk about a couple of teams. Let's we can go to your. Let's talk to Miami, okay? Because I know they're your favorite team, and I know we went and saw them play Memphis, and then not uh, just a few games ago, Hero went out. Tyler Hero, we were talking about, went out and dropped forty-one, which is a career high for him. I really think he could be developing into an MVP caliber type player. I know that's probably heresy to say something like that to a lot of people, but why is I, that heresy? I, feel I don't like know. He's a he is a really good player the heat, all the way around, like defense, the all, heat, uh, you know, not just a so. shooter. I think. Well, I think maybe it's just me. I felt like he was more known to, to be sort of the shooter. Well, yes, but he's actually a, he's got a well-rounded game. I think so, and that's what he's been trying to. He's kind of set out this season to prove is what he said. Um, and I know Miami's, you said, mentioned defense. That's definitely something that Miami has required of him to do in order to start, which is what he's doing now for the most part. So, I mean, I think, I mean, look, we've talked about this before, how unwilling the Heat have been to include him in any trade deals for people like James Harden and, like, literally MVP players. So I would say Miami seems to think so. I think, I don't know about MVP, but absolutely all-star, all-NBA eventually for sure yeah i mean he is i i think he is one of the sneaky good player and and could sort of sneak up on some folks because he's not one that gets talked about a lot and and we'll look at his rookie cards on the 2019 set so if you look at it like his 2019 prism look at that in a silver and a psa 10 right just kind of as a baseline for for where his cards go that card pop count on that 829 so not huge now that pop count might grow if the value of his cards went up but nonetheless the last sale on that 100 and we'll call it 127 dollars 
and it's been regularly selling in the 100 to 140 dollar range give or take over the last several months so pretty inexpensive in comparison to some of the other top players in a league right and i think he's one of those guys that could end up being i don't know he just i, I feel I was, like for me he's on the same kind of discussion as like a tyrese maxi I don't know how much you've seen of Tyrese Maxey, but he very well might be the second best player on Philadelphia, I think. Kind of depends on how consistent James Harden is, but he's like, he might be the fastest player in the league, and he's... What about Embiid? What do you mean? I said second best player on the team. Oh, right, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's probably like the fastest guy in the NBA. Really, really solid player. Yeah. Um, But he's, he's been hurt. But I think if he comes back from injury soon enough, he could be all-star this year. And I think Hero's kind of in the same sort of level as that, where people maybe not be picking him to be... He's, like, kind of sneaky with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe people aren't, like... A lot of people don't really look to him when they're thinking all-star or, like, developing young talent. It's not really something that comes to a lot of people's mind first. Yeah. I think. Well, and here's I think the other... those two are very similar in that regard. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is when I was looking at the stats of Hero and and on Miami, right, and I looked at Butler as an example because, I, you know, Jimmy Butler would probably be known as the, the best player on the team. And it's interesting to me that Jimmy Butler does, ha, is like across the board in terms of points per game, rebounds a game, assists per game, all of that. He does have a better stat line across the board than Tyler Hero. I would have not have guessed that. He is maybe another underappreciated player. We've talked about that before. He probably is, generally speaking, year after year because he's just not a, a splashy or flashy, I should say, type player. But I was surprised by that because I was thinking – I just I felt like Butler was having a down year, and yet he's still it always seems like that, leading right? the team. It, seem, it always seems like that. I feel like he's been out a lot. Maybe that's the issue because um, he has he's had some injuries. That's my thing with him because he's got to like stop eating very, crickets. I said in the very, notes. What what yeah. did you see? What was that? <laughs> they said he ate some crickets and then he what? sat out a game <laughs> right after that. I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So, but yeah. So, what's been the deal? I mean, but he does he have an injury history though? I mean, he he's been a pretty durable player. Generally, he's had this knee soreness thing like since last year's playoffs, and I don't think he really I don't think it really got addressed in the off season. Uh, definitely didn't have any like, obviously didn't have any surgery or anything because I don't think that was necessary but I'm not really sure how much he did to really address that because evidently it's still it's still there and I'm pretty sure it's the same knee so I'm not really sure what's going on with that but okay I mean it's been an issue since the playoffs which is like that's kind of a long time at this point I feel like that's something they should be paying attention to like, in case there's something more going on yeah I'm not sure but I think the east right now is interesting because while you have in the west it still seems like there's a lot of parity in the East. I feel like the East is kind of figuring itself out right now, which is kind of what you see around Christmas time. You're not really seeing that in the West as much, but I feel like you're seeing that in the East for sure. Cause like a lot of teams that started out, you would expect to be good, kind of started really bad, but have now kind of turned it around like Philadelphia and Brooklyn. They're kind of the main two examples. Those two are like top six. Now they started kind of slow. They've got, they've since figured it out. So you got like the Boston, Milwaukee, then you got like Cleveland, Brooklyn, and Philadelphia. And I feel like the East is kind of steadying out. I feel like it's kind of probably look mostly like this for at least a longer period of time. I think this is what we expected it to look like, and it might stay similar to this. Um, New York is an interesting case. I'm not 100% sure Miami's gonna stay that far above 500 just with the current roster, unless they make a move. I think what we're looking at in the East right now is a pretty, I feel like is a pretty good representation of who's who, I think. 
I think that's probably fair. Although I, I, I and I, when I go down that list, so I think about Detroit at the bottom of the pack. Are they going for the? Is that the Wembley? <laughs> they might be. They might Watch. be. They may be in the in the Wembley race. Could for you? Sure. What if they? <laughs> could you imagine if they get? I mean. Dude, the last three years, Detroit has been killing it through the draft. If they get Victor too, that would be ridiculous. Like they would be like, I mean, but not if they still end up at the bottom of the standings every year. <laughs> well, they, they're literally they have no vets. They brought in um, Bojan Bogdanovic to like kind of be a vet to build around, but I think he's just kind of up to his trade value, and they're probably just going to move him because that's he's there. He's been he's been hooping. He's been their best player by far, and he's probably just going to get traded now. So I, I don't know, but it's because they're all young. I got a bunch of guys that are in like their first and second, third years. So. Yeah, but I agree with you in so. the East, Milwaukee, Boston, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Philly, and those are your top five right now. Definitely. And I think, you know, that probably, if you Probably were to... stays probably about like that for the whole season, I would think. Yeah. Unless some, some team goes on a crazy run. I'm like New York has like an NBA best seven game win streak right now. So maybe if they can stay consistent, but I don't really think they have the talent level of these other five teams. Let's talk about Memphis for a second, though, because they are actually tied with Denver for first in the West, and we talked about them after watching them play Miami last time, and I was thinking more about this. I really think Memphis is built to win. I really do. They've got a very, I would I would argue, one of the deepest rosters for sure. in the NBA. The number of players that average double-digit scoring is double digits. There's like, I forget the number off the top of my head. It's like 10 or 12 guys. They're very physically intimidating team, built to wear teams down, I think, over the course of a seven-game series. I think they're an interesting one to watch. Maybe not the most skilled. I certainly think one of the most physical. And I think when you're in a long seven-game series like that, and then, of course, you got someone like Jaw, who does have all the talent in the world. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if a modern-day Detroit Pistons is a fair comparison because it's a little different than the way Detroit was built, but... To play kind of with that and they maybe don't play quite as physical they have that's I guess the one thing about Memphis that I think about is I think if they could ever sort of harness their physical advantage over teams because I don't feel like they're taking advantage of that enough and I feel like if they did that more maybe more that bad boy mentality like Detroit had back in the day maybe that would make them more intimidating well I don't know that they need to necessarily because with their offense, I feel like they're already pretty plenty physical. And they've got – it's it's really interesting because they've got the smallest guy on the team is maybe the most physical guy in terms of driving and getting in the lane um, in terms of his play style and jaw. But I feel like they've got a lot of big guys who can also shoot the ball really well. So they have the ability to play both ways. But I think the physicality really needs to show itself with their defense because traditionally they've been a very good defensive team. I don't think they've been as good this season, but if they can get that together and be as good as they have been, I think that is ultimately what could push them over the top. I'm a little bit on the fence about calling them a total title contender, but definitely someone who could come out of the West. I don't know if they can beat like an East powerhouse though. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's probably a fair. I mean, although I don't know, again, in a seven-game series with that, but against Milwaukee, who can match their size, I don't know, true. man. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Do we we haven't even touched on? Did you we see? We need to talk about the trophies real quick. Yeah, and then let's move on. Cause... Let's talk about the trophies real quick because we hadn't touched on that. And I have to say, on the one I think hand, it's cool. It's on the one hand, it's cool. On the other hand, one take I did here on another podcast was the idea that. 
okay, you've kind of used all these historical names, right? Because they've got the MVP trophy is now the Michael Jordan trophy. Ironically, Kareem... Okay, well, let's give a better introduction to this because they completely re... They didn't just name the trophies. They, like, remade the... They've made new trophies that are, like, very, like... They look very nice. The yeah. MVP... They, 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 they partnered with the guy. I forget his name. Um, but he's done a lot of... He's been involved with a lot of artistic like basketball stuff and they've advertised him before but he kind of collaborated with them on making these trophies um i forget the the guy's name so apologies but well here's the interesting they, so they they, they made they made new trophies in there i think they're very nice so they say so, so they got the mvp trophy is going to be the michael jordan trophy the rookie of the year was his name for will i think that was done before this year but defensive player of the year name for hakeem olajuwon uh, sixth man name for John Havlicek, the most improved for George Mikan. Uh, the new one is going to be the clutch player That's an of the year. interesting one. I don't know that we it's needed named, it, but I'll take it. Yeah, named after Jerry West. I don't know what the criteria is, but okay. And, of course, in recent years, the All-Star Game MVP was renamed for Kobe Bryant. The uh, finals MVP, or uh, conference finals MVPs were Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson, respectively. The funny thing about this, so a couple things I'll point out. The funny thing about it is, one, of course, Kareem had more MVPs than Jordan. I don't think that's the point. Uh, Listen, this isn't the point. Dikembe Mutombo, Rasheed Wallace, the more defensive thing. players of the year Wait, than Olajuwon. You, you mean Ben Wallace? No, that Maybe was Rasheed. Maybe both of them. Oh, was it Ben? I thought ben, it was Rasheed. Well, Ben has four. I know that. And there's okay. like two players that have four, and Ben is one of them. Maybe I have Rasheed that wrong. Maybe I thought had, it was Rasheed Well, Wallace. Rasheed might have more. I don't know. But Now, the other – so that's one thing. The other thing is you're using all these historic guys on all these trophies – Where's the room to add, right? Like, LeBron is going to go down as one of the best all time, and there are going to be others that come along. What do you do with those guys? I feel like that's a bad take. I feel like that's not a good take. That's not the point. That's not the point. That's not A, the point was not who had the most, first of all. I feel like that's... So I thought the same thing, and then I watched a press conference with with Adam Silver, and, like, the, the whole point of this was not... It wasn't about... You know who had the most it's about okay but let's it's, not it's, talk about it's method for how how can we what's another way that they can like pay respects and yeah try and make have people remember the great players of the past okay that's, that's what fair and so he said they sat around in a room and they had the mvp trophy and they're like who better than michael jordan so they named him michael jordan that's right? fair and, but that gets me so i i that's fair on the terms of who had the most i get that that's fair i would agree that that's not necessarily a thing right i mean it, it's but I do think what is a thing is the fact that you've named all these trophies and now you're not going to have – there's no room for anybody else, right? I mean, so is it is it going to be odd? I mean, you, how do you not have something for LeBron? Well, but no, the, what I just said answers that too because the point is for – in part to remember the old names, the old greats that have come before. Yeah. And you say 20 years into the future – these names are going to be a little bit less remembered and i feel like through these trophies they're going to be maybe a little bit more remembered people lebron is definitely going to still be fresh on people's minds and you know at a point maybe they can find something to do with that i don't feel like every great player has to have an award named after him i mean well and do we have we can look there's there's look this is like what eight nine ten people maybe right there's is there you could think of i could think of 20 more that you could well i'm thinking bill russell finals mvp okay finals mvp yeah yeah I was thinking of like tw- there's probably like 10, 20 more names I could think of that you could say deserve it, but like that's not the point either. Like it's you know, yeah, because it also has to do with do they represent the trophy well, and I think in this case all of them do. 
right now, I don't know. Maybe they come out with an, and they made a new award for clutch players. So maybe they make a new award for for someone. Yeah, who's what is like the LeBron? Maybe, maybe like most triple doubles will be like LeBron or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, who yeah. knows? But yeah, you what, know, what, I, don't, I feel like that's not something you should worry. That that's not something you need to worry about. You all know? right. Okay. Okay. But they go look at the trophies. They're really nice. Um, they look really good. That's cool. I think it's a cool thing that they did. All right. Well, what else do you want to do? I know you said that they, they announced the Hall of Fame. Do you want to save that for next time? Or? Oh, we can mention it real quick. Yeah, the nominees came out today. It is, it's a really big class. Some of the high, I'll just kind of mention some of the highlights. Um, again, these are just nominees. So, But kind of the highlights this year are going to be Pau Gasol, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Greg Popovich, uh, Tony Parker, uh, the 1976 uh, women's Olympic team, um, and Dwayne Wade. I think those are the main highlights. Nice. Definitely going to be some more names, obviously, but those are kind of the highlights that were, I guess, highlighted yeah. uh, by the NBA. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big, big class this year. All right. We'll have to – I'll look – we'll get the rookie cards. I know I think Dwayne Wade's in 03. I think Nowitzki's in – yeah, we got, we'll, we'll put together some things on where all the rookie cards in for all those or are for all those players and maybe mention that next time so we don't have that together for today. All right. We, are, we said we had a lot to cover in film study. We're in a little bit long, but we do have two more areas we want to touch on. One is the NHL and the other is World Cup soccer. So you want to go to hockey? Yeah. Let's do the NHL real quick. So uh, Elvechkin, again, get used to this. The guy's going to just keep breaking records. He scored his 800th goal. He's the third player to do so. Uh, uh, of course, Wayne Gretzky and Gordie Howard, the other two. And then uh, Vegas, as we talked about, Boston had that long 14-game home game winning streak. Well, Vegas snapped that streak for them. And a couple other quick things to note here, and then I do want to spend a little time on our beloved Preds. But it was reported that Ryan Reynolds, actually the actor, wants to join the Ottawa Senators ownership group and said he would be a, quote, frothy... This dude just wants to do everything. Frothy, rabies-infused fan, the likes of which the NFL has... Or, excuse me, the NHL has never seen. I'm not sure if that helps or hurts his case. I think it helps his case. (laughs) Dude, okay, so the guy who came in, Steve Ballmer, the owner of the Clippers, is probably, like, the most like excited owner for his team i have ever seen and it's like the best thing ever he yeah. loves that team and he's like he has the same seat courtside every time he goes nuts every time they do anything like you see him in interviews he's just like bubbling like crazy so when you have an owner that's like as excited about it as like the fans are it's a fantastic thing yeah. and it's like ownership group here but like you know whatever ryan reynolds, ryan reynolds i feel like he's doing like everything right now i know didn't he get a soccer team too well I know he wanted. I don't know. Yeah, and he's in. There's, he's no, got there's a, like a. He's doc, got a bunch of different. There's like a show on it right now. Okay. He has like like a. Yeah, that's right. Because he doesn't he own it with like Will Ferrell or something? Don't they like co-own some? Some guy. I don't know if it's Will Ferrell or not. Okay. But he. I think he owns a soccer team too. Yeah. Um, and now like a mobile company. <laughs> I don't know. He's doing like everything. Yeah, he is doing everything. Um, um, you still got Connor McDavid sitting atop all the stat categories: goals, assists, points. And then one I'll point out is uh, Mik- I think it's is it Miko Miko Rantanen uh, for Colorado. He's coming into his own. He's 26 years old. This is eighth year in the league. Really his seventh season with any meaningful time, and you know coming into his own. And and his by the way, if you go look, his rookie cards are in the 2015 set. So I'll look at that the upper deck young guns just kind of as a baseline. And if you look at that in a PSA 10 pop count on that is 731. 
and it's relatively inexpensive uh, in Gin in comparison to where these are for some of the other players. So last sale on that was $122, and it's been regularly selling in, say, the 120 to 100 and we'll call it 60 range, a little bit of a wide range there. But relatively inexpensive when you compare, you know, gosh, who, well, compare Connor McDavid, that may be not a fair comparison, but compare Kale McCarr, care, you know, uh, I don't know, his teammate, um, McKinnon, a lot of guys, young guns in the PSA 10 will sell for a thousand or more. And here you can pick up a player that might be coming into his own here. Uh, for you know 120 bucks give or take so maybe one to take a look at and then the other thing I'll, I'll note I, I did have a stat here looking at goals as a percent of shots on goal and if you look at guys that have at least 70 plus shots on goal that's you know you look Ranton and is in that mix and he's there along with Dry Saddle, Connor McDavid, uh, Sidney Crosby these are all guys that have 20 percent plus in that stat, meaning when you look at the percentage of goals they've scored as a as a percentage of the shots on goal, at tw- those guys are at twenty percent. They've plus. made twenty percent of the shots they've taken. Yeah, yeah. Which in you know in hockey that's pretty high. Yeah, that's pretty high. And so anyway, and so Rantanen right in that mix in that same company, like I said, is Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Dry Saddle. Anyway, something to potentially take a look at. I did want to spend just a minute to talk a little bit about our Preds because. I think it's time that the Nashville Predators did an overhaul of their strategy and their philosophy. They're currently tied for the second worst in terms of goals scored for them, tied for fourth best in terms of goals against. It's a very similar story for their franchise. They have been a very defensively focused team and their style of play as well as how they you know, draft and uh, develop players. and But the question I guess you have now is do they have the offensive firepower to win a cup? I mean, when you look at the top teams, they typically have prolific scores on them, and the Preds simply don't have that. They haven't had that. If you look at one of their recent games against Ottawa, perfect example, they only give up three, but they only score two, so they lose. And here's an interesting stat for the Predators. They are 8-1 and one when scoring four or more goals. So that's fantastic. Problem is, they've only scored four more goals nine times this year. And the reality is that scoring is up across the board in the league. The league has become, as all leagues have, right? They're trying to become more offensively focused, makes the game maybe a little more exciting for fans and maybe a little more marketable and all that. There's been rule changes to help with that. And so I guess the question for the Preds is, can you win with the current philosophy in that type of environment? And if you look at the stats, so since 2001, since that 0102 season, league the average scoring in the league has been trending higher the average this year is 3.18 that is literally that may sound low but that's the remember that's the average so let's call it 3.2 that's the highest since 19 the 93 94 season so what is that 30 years the highest average scoring and during that season it was 3.24 it's up from a low of 2.62 in the 0102 season and since 2015, here's been your average scoring. It's been 2.71, then 2.77, then 2.97, then 3.01, then 3.02. Then you had a little bit of a dip down to 2.94, and then up to 3.14, and then now it's at 3.18. So the trend clearly moving higher. And when you look at the Preds, I mean, that's just not been their philosophy, right? And uh, they're in the bottom three in the league right now on shots on goal. They also rank in the bottom three or four, depending on what stat you look at in the power play. 
you know, a lot of the top teams are teams like Edmonton, Boston, Colorado, Tampa Bay. Now Buffalo's in there as well, but but those other teams, all of those except Buffalo, are in the top half of the standings. Buffalo, by the way, has a terrible defense. So there's a good example of where it just can't be all offense. It needs to, you do have to have a little bit of a balance, but the Preds certainly don't have that right now. And I don't look. I'm not saying I don't think it's just going out and getting one guy that can be a prolific scorer and get the puck in the net. I do think you need depth to wear down an opponent over a seven-game series. I also think you need speed. I think look what Colorado did last year. That's a good example of that. That team was fast. They had speed across the board. And again, they could score. They could put the puck in the net. Well, and here's, so here's a question I have. Yeah. So is it are the offensive struggles personnel based or is it like like I think so. Is it play or is it play style and culture based? I think it well so when you say personnel, what do you what do you mean? Like you like you said they draft a lot of defensive guys and don't really care about offense that much. Is that well, the they, general thing. I think it's more that they. Yeah, I think it's more than in that manner. I would say it's more cultural and philosophy. Okay. Because they have some guys, but at some of the guys they have haven't been scoring the way maybe you would hope they would. Right. I mean, like Philip Forsberg. I mean, very good skilled player, but not necessarily a prolific scorer. I mean, Duchesne has had some decent, like, what was it, two years ago, Rose, or Rosie, Roman Yossi, I mean, he was their leading, I think, if I recall, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think he was their leading point scorer, but he's a defenseman. Yeah. I, I, so, but like, would you say, would you say it has more to do with how they run it or more to do with what people that they're bringing onto the roster? Yeah, well, I definitely like, think it roster, has to do with like, the personnel. Is the roster weak scoring-wise? Yeah, I definitely think it has to do with the way they construct. I think it is the way they construct the roster, right? Because that's the philosophy, right? Is to And look, it's it's played out. I mean, when you look at them defensively, they are atop the league. They have been for years atop the league, in, and not at the top. Maybe a few years they've been at the top, but they have been in the, you know, say, top five or top ten teams in the league when you look at the defensive stats, right? So it's it's played out that way. They've done really good defensively, but yet, you know, they've had a lot of disappointing seasons, and it's I been because they just can't score. They cannot put the puck in the net at the same rate right. that other teams are doing. And again, with the league going that direction, with scoring moving, you know, higher every year in the league, like I just think, I really think the pre- – you know, they've changed a lot of players up. They've changed coaches. Well, I wonder if I think it's time they change philosophy. Yeah, like I feel like maybe it's – Maybe they move the defensive thing less to the personnel and more to the culture. Have a defense first culture, but obviously you have to bring in offensive focused personnel. Yeah, I mean, I is I, my thing. Like, cause I I I look at this in comparison. This when I ask these questions, cause I'm trying to compare it to the Miami Heat or to Coach uh, Thibodeau, who who coaches the New York Knicks, and. The, the difference between those two is Coach Tibbs is just super, super defensive focused. He barely cares about the offense, and that's why the Knicks, I feel like, have kind of struggled um, in that year that they were the fourth seed. Whereas Miami is a defensive focused culture, but they bring in offensive guys and they kind of build, they have a really good player development program where they build guys' offense off of guys who are maybe just defenders. So I'm wondering if the Predators, you know, what kind of things that the Predators could do um, based on just trying to put it in perspective for me. Well, I think it's, I think it's getting, yeah, I think it's, I think it's getting guys. They tend to get, I think anyway, I, I, we should maybe try to get Jerry Helper back on the show and maybe get his take on this. Cause I'm certainly not an expert on, you know, NHL player personnel and all that type of stuff. But I feel like the Preds have gone after more 
bigger, more physical players. So you look at like someone, and here's an example. Look at someone like um, uh, Ryan Johansson, right? He's a center, but I feel like when you look at his scoring, I, I haven't done the, the 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 analysis or research on this to know, but I'd be willing to bet if you compare where he's been scoring wise to other centers around the league, he's got to be in the bottom half, I would think. He just doesn't score at the same. Now maybe there's a lot of other things, other you know, in value that he brings to when he's on the ice and to the team. But just purely from a scoring perspective, he's more of a you know he doesn't have maybe the quite the speed that that, uh, that you know other offensively focused players have. He you know is maybe more of a bigger physical type player, and I feel like that's what the Preds have done right. They've gone more kind of the bigger physical route. As a result, they're slower. They're better on defense, and that's reflected in the stats. But they're losing games because they yeah. just can't. Again, yeah. if they give up three three goals. They can't score four. They've only scored, you know, four nine times this year. And again, eight and one when they do. So, and it's not again. It, it's not as easy as just saying, "Well, go out and get scores." No, right? It's not I that mean, easy. no, it's not. That's why I mentioned like a player development program, for instance. Maybe you are a really defensive focused culture, but you understand where the league is going, and you know that offense and speed is important. And you try and you know maybe bring in guys that can help develop your younger talent or. I don't know. Maybe you just maybe you do just try and bring in a little bit more balance, trade some bigger guys for some smaller guys, and I don't, I don't know about a hockey, but maybe mix up your floor personnel. I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's so you thing. have a little bit of so you have a little bit of size and maybe mostly size, but a little bit of speed. I don't know. Yeah, like I'm not a hockey guy by any means. I'm just kind of trying to put it in perspective th- for me. No, I know. Yeah, I think they need. I do think they need to get faster on the ice. I think they need to get maybe a little more skilled not rely as much on the physicality part of it. This is kind of, you know, the opposite of what we were talking about with Memphis in, in basketball, right? And um, But I don't know. We'll see. Again, I'm not suggesting it's it's not that easy. I, I, I understand that. It's, it's easier said than done. But I would definitely say but, I would rather build from a really good defense and bad offense than a good offense and terrible defense because I feel like if you have really defensive-minded players and a very defensive-focused team – I feel like it's a little bit easier to find offense because that's what a lot of people like to do. Yeah. Um, now it's hard to find players that are really skilled at offense, obviously. That but may I be. feel like I feel like I would rather start from a defensive first team yeah. and try and find and build my offense. So I feel like it's not a terrible situation to be in. Well, and your points taken by I mean we mentioned Buffalo, they're a good example of that, right? Like they've got a great offense and you know have been doing well there but just a terrible defense and they're not doing however now the flip side is some of the other teams like we talked about Edmonton Boston Colorado Tampa Bay those are all some of the top teams in the league and you know they definitely are playing better offensively than where the Preds are and again I don't think I think this is more philosophical for the Preds because I don't think this is a situation where the Preds are just playing bad and they need to go out and play better I think it's more about their approach and their strategy and I just think they're not built to win, to be a contender for the cup, given the direction the league is going, being more emphasis on increased scoring. And again, you've seen that we now have a 20-year trend in place of increased scoring in the league that's really picked up over the last, say, six or seven years. And and I think almost the pinnacle of that could be, you know, looking at Colorado last year, right? Probably one of the fastest teams, a, a high-scoring team, and won the cup last year and you say predators are one of the slowest teams well i don't have anything to back that up but i think they're you know because like maybe that could maybe maybe speed could be the thing 
because I mean I think in hockey it's obviously a low scoring sport I feel like a lot of the a lot of your scoring kind of shooting in the dark here but I feel like a lot of the scoring would kind of come off of your kind of passing play and your positioning play and how well your players play off of each other and I feel like speed can absolutely play a big part in making that a little bit easier if you can outspeed your opponents and pass between people. Well, and I definitely think that's the case if you think about power play. Again, I'm no expert on hockey, so I'll just give my sort of layman's perspective on this. But if I I do, I think the power play in hockey is, I do have some knowledge in basketball and I, and as you do, and I think power play hockey is very similar, it's I like think, to transition basketball. Transition basketball? It's, well, it's like playing, it's like trying to go against a zone defense in basketball. And mm-hmm. what do you do in a zone defense? You got to move, you got to rotate you gotta the ball, you got to move you the ball from side to pass. side. You got yeah, you have to have skill. The Preds, now, this this may not be fair with under their current coach, but in the past, their power play philosophy has been more to dump it in, right, to the boards and then crash the boards and, and be more physical. And I get it. Teams are defending differently out at the blue line now. And so, you know, sometimes it's hard to get the ball through the or the ball, the puck across the blue line. But that's that to me is kind of the point, right? If you have a more offensively skilled, maybe more speed, a little more offensive skill set, then you might be able to manage that a little better and maintain possession of the puck. Because that's one thing I don't like. Again, this is just personal preference, but I feel like I feel like the teams that can maintain possession of the puck as opposed to dumping and chasing it end up doing better. Yeah, right? well, that's and, like that. I mean, that, you can relate that to soccer. I mean, usually the teams that have possession for most of the game usually win the game, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's, that's I think, very, yeah. it's, and it's, I think in that sense, it is similar to soccer. That's a, that's a good segue. So let's, let's move off of that because we've gone long on that, and that's a good segue into soccer. Let's talk World Cup because we had the final. And to your point, possession – so we had we had France and Argentina, as people probably know, and of course Messi and Mbappe, and Mbappe, and um, man, they set themselves apart too. Um, going into the finals, they had both had five goals apiece on 25 and 27 shots on goal, respectively. The next closest player had 16. Now, someone like Neymar had a good tournament as well in about half the minutes played, uh, but and then you had uh, Messi's teammate uh, Julian Alvarez. He's played well, four goals on 10 shots on goal. Um, Mbappe's ter- uh, teammate, I think I he's proud to pronounce his last name, Giroud, Giroud. Um, he had four goals on 16 shots on goal. But man, when you look at that final, so at first it looked like, if, if folks didn't see it, I would highly recommend to go back and watch it. This was a very fun and exciting game. Now maybe you fast forward to the you know, to the second half. At first, Argentina was outplayed France. It looked like it might be a little more of a snoozer they jumped out to a 2-0 lead and France really wasn't doing a whole lot but then as it as it um as it got late in in the match France came back Mbappe brought them back in about a two-minute span um scored two goals and (laughs) ultimately got a hat trick which by the way wins him the golden boot he had seven goals during the cup (laughs) versus Messi had six so they went to like multiple extended times. I think there was three different extended times. And, and, and Argentina was up three to two, I think, in the second extended time. And then Mbappe got a penalty kick in the last minute of that time to tie the game. That was an unfortunate one for Argentina. It was really just a happenstance, right? He, the, he kicked it and the, the Argentinian defender kind of jumped up and the ball just happened to hit him in the arm. And, uh, and so it's a handball inside 
you know, the uh, whatever you call it, the, the, the goal area there. And so then it ended up getting a penalty kick, which Mbappe shot, scored. So that tied it at three all. Then they go into the third extended time. And man, that was a pretty excited, exciting extended time. The Argentina goalkeeper made an incredible save at one point. Um, Argentina had their chance. They uh, forget who it was that got a header that went wide. And then there was one point where Mbappe almost got a free shot in the last seconds of that third extended time. But ultimately, it the extended time ended on a 3-3 tie, went to penalty kicks, and you know the rest is history. Argentina won on a 4-2 uh, in the penalty kicks. But get and, and here's the thing. So it was of the six goals, right, that were scored in, in, I guess, what you'd call regular and extended time, Messi and Mbappe scored five of those six. So... And it was just an amazing match. It was a lot of fun to watch. Now, here's the interesting thing, too. When you look at the strategy that happened in penalty kicks, so Mbappe goes first, scores. Then Messi goes first, scores, right? So 1-1, your two best players go first. Then comes um, Pablo, I think it's Dybala for Argentina. It was really interesting with his penalty kick. I thought his strategy was was fantastic because he ended up just literally kicking the ball straight down the middle, yeah. right where the goalie was. Because the goalies... The I, goal t- I, dude, I watched the... the um yeah, I feel like I, guarding these penalty kicks is just—it's so hard. Oh, exactly! <laughs> like, it's so hard. And, the, and you it, literally just to be fast enough, you literally just have to guess. And they it's were, like, and, I, and I know yeah. there's probably a little bit more strategy to it. There's a little bit more like reading that they're doing, but at at a point, I feel like it's just like you just—it's just. It's just Hit or, it's just like 50-50 hit or miss whether you get the right direction at least or yeah. not, you know? And and they were. The goaltenders were essentially kind of guessing and diving to one side or the other. And so Dybala comes up, and the goaltender kind of dives to one side, and he just kicks it right down the middle where the goaltender was diving from yeah. <laughs> and scores. And then, and then France kept – it was like – I don't know if that was their playbook or, you know, it just happened that way, but they kept kicking left every single time if left if you're facing the goal i should say the right of the goalkeeper but left if you're facing him and the Argent- argentina's goalkeeper kind of caught on and just started anticipating the kicks going that direction and so he ended up saving one i think another one went wide if i'm not mistaken and yeah and ultimately argentina won 4 to 2 in in penalty kicks um <laughs> It was. It was. Look again. It, if if you haven't watched a lot of soccer matches, I'd highly recommend going and watching that one. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was a great match, and obviously Messi and Mbappe, I think, solidified their positions in the sport. Even though Mbappe lost, it, I mean, the two of them again, five of the six goals, and again, they, the two of them were the top scorers in the cup by a, by a wide margin. And so, dude, Chuck's really got to keep his mouth shut. Why? What? He guaranteed. He guaranteed that France would win. Well, there you go. And I think that, that France solidified was, it I think for that Argentina. France was definitely like the best team in the World Cup too. Do you think so? I think See, they really I, were. I was leaning Argentina going into it. I think that France really it. was. I think that they really should have won it. See, I disagree. I was leaning Argentina. I, if I was betting on the game, I would have bet Argentina. I felt like, and and I felt like, especially for the first, you know, whatever, however, 70, 80 minutes, however many long it was, I do feel like Argentina outplayed them. They had, to your point, when you're talking about time of possession, Argentina was dramatically winning the time of possession yeah. and shots on goal. And, Usually um, win if you do that. Yeah. Now France Man, did come back and tie it. So, but anyway, you got USA out. <laughs> you got France out. Nice. Over two. Yeah. There you go. Well, I guess that's what you get when Charles Barkley is guaranteeing soccer game outcomes. Well, I just think that's more funny. I don't really, don't really pay attention to that, but it's more funny to me that France was like pretty predominantly winning 
until they brought brought. You said they brought it back in about two minutes. No, Argentina was predominantly winning. And oh, then, Argentina and then was. France, oh, okay, I got Fran- that. Yeah, wrong. Um, Mbappe brought France back oh, okay. in about a two-minute span to send the match into overtime. Yeah, Mbappe had a hat trick with three goals, and yeah. So, but anyway, it was yeah. That was a fun one to watch. I don't have a lot of card value stuff on them today. I'll maybe try to look a few things up, and we can maybe bring that up next time. But, yeah, we're running long, too, so we really probably need to wrap up. That's going to be the show for today. Thanks again to all of our listeners. It's good to be back. Uh, Hope you enjoyed it. And, Brandon, why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right, yeah. Thanks, everybody, again for spending some of your time with us. Uh, We do want to hear from you, so please message us on social media or email us. Our email is on our website. If you have questions or ideas, or topics for a future show uh, we do love to hear from you so please don't hesitate to reach out also check us out on social media and follow us we're on facebook sorry facebook instagram and twitter and check out our website www.the615collector.com and subscribe to our email list yep please help us spread the word tell a friend about us encourage them to listen to the show and follow us on your favorite podcast outlet give us a rating as well hopefully it's five stars and that helps us out. We appreciate it if you do that. And that is it. Show number 62 is in the books. Thanks again, everyone. We hope everyone has a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, all of that. And we will see you all next Thursday here on the 615 Collective.